Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. If you guys listen to the pod often, you know that I am always cold. I'm always bundling up, trying to get cozy and warm, especially at night when I throw on my favorite pair of cozy socks to keep my feet warm. My hubby, on the other hand, he runs hot, constantly throwing off sheets and comforters to cool down. Well, I am so excited because I found the perfect sleeping solution for us. Bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. Not only are they temperature regulating, they are the softest, most luxurious sheets I have ever slept in, hands down. And you know I just got back from Cabo at a very high-end resort. Those sheets could not even compare. It is so hard to find bedding we both love and that fits our needs, but we found it and we're not going back. Let me tell you more about their magic. They are lightweight and breathable, certified free of harsh chemicals and dyes, such a breeze to wash, stain resistant, moisture wicking, and their enhanced weave makes them pill proof. It's no wonder they are one of Oprah's favorite things. They are certainly one of ours. If you suffer from night sweats or chilly toes, please do yourself a favor and try these. And as a sleep coach, I cannot recommend them more. No more tossing and turning and no more having to sleep with socks on. Trust me. <laughs> That's the best part. Get yours 30% off with code Getting Cozy Podcast. That's G-E-T-N-C-O-Z-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And start having the best sleep of your life. Visit www.cozyearth.com. And always stay cozy. You guys, I always say I'm excited, but I really, truly am so excited today to have with me in studio virtually, Miss Kate Casey, and she is reality TV queen. She has a podcast called Reality Life with Kate Casey, and I connected with her recently on the app that I'm obsessed with, you guys, Clubhouse, and I'm so glad we connected. I'm so excited to talk to her all about how she got started, her amazing podcast, if she will mentor me, all the good things. (laughs) So without further ado, Kate, welcome to the show. Welcome to Getting Cozy. I'm so excited to get cozy with my new friend, Erin. Absolutely. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for doing this with me. And you guys, she has five children ages 11 through two, basically. Uh, every every couple of years, you had another child, right? You are just a freaking angel. I did. Now, <laughs> can I be honest with you? I'm Please. like itching for another. I, I really am. And I think that my husband thinks I have mental health issues because he's like, <laughs> at what point will this end? And I just, I've never had that thing that a lot of women talk about, like, you know, I'm done. Like, this is it. I just have never, I always have this feeling like someone's missing from the party. Wow. So I don't know. I just, and then I'm also a little bit afraid if I have another baby, people will call me Ilaria Baldwin, but (laughs) I am a tried and true baby hoarder that just loves being pregnant, loves having babies. Just, I'm a big family. I kind of am a baby pusher. I feel like I'm a little bit torn on whether or not that's a good idea. Because I'm happy when people tell me you really convinced my husband to have a baby. Then I think, what if this culminates in like marital problems and then I'm the reason to blame? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, but it's their decision. I mean, you might have influenced them, but you know that they have to be responsible and be held accountable <laughs> for having a child. Exactly. But right. 
I have to tell you, I definitely was the one that said I'm done after I had my son because I had my daughter and then I had my son. I'm like, I remember at the gender reveal party when we popped that balloon and it was blue with the confetti. I literally said, I'm done. I screamed it. I was like, oh, if I had another kid and it was a girl, I was going to have to have another one. Right. But I was so happy to have one of each. But I have to tell you, I begged my husband, begged him to be a surrogate. I love being pregnant, too. Oh, I know. Isn't it the best? I miss it every day. I still rub I my tummy. Too. <laughs> I, I do, too. And I feel a pang if I see a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. I truly feel a pang. And then I'm a little bit weird because I love to have a bunch of my girlfriends in the delivery room. And it's probably a blessing that I wasn't pregnant during COVID because if I had a baby and there were only just my husband and myself, I think I would have been a little bit kind of bummed out because I've had so many girlfriends. The last time I had a baby, I had like 10 girlfriends in the room and I had this sign behind me. It said pregnant AF. I'm a woman that I told this story to my son and he was like, you're so weird. I, most (laughs) women show up to the labor and delivery floor and they're like shaking and nervous. And I roll up and I go, party people, And then they're all excited. They're like, they want to hang out. And I always talk to them about reality shows. I mean, it's fun. Friends bring champagne. I love that. I have to ask, though, do you do them all naturally? Are you drugs, like, all I the do. way? No, no, no. Okay. I'm not dumb. I take an epidural, but. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, they've all been badged. So my, my best girlfriend has five kids, and we always take pictures together, and we hashtag 10 children, two vaginas. Yes, all have left my badge that sure. is amazing I, I literally had one word on my birth plan and it was drugs I wrote it so big in capital letters I literally was like give them to me as soon as you can and do not stop I am not trying to win any awards here I don't need a cookie like you know what I mean just give me the drugs I was out and I tell friends no one's gonna give you a medal if you don't if you don't that's what it. I say yes yep no, no one cares and I have to say I think that an epidural is one of the great joys of life. I wish that I had an epidural right now. That's how pleasurable. And and another thing, I kind of enjoyed the catheter because sometimes late at night when I'm too lazy to go to the bathroom, I'm like, catheter would have been nice in this moment. So there are a lot of fun things that come out of labor. Super convenient. I definitely am have like a, a needle phobia. So that was my one real like issue. And I was the worst. I am the worst patient when I'm pregnant because I refuse to do the blood work. I'm so bad, like so bad. I refuse to do the um, the drinking thing that you have to do. Oh, the glucose. Yeah, the glucose. So I asked my doctor, I'm like, I will not do this. Is there any other option? She goes, well, I guess just eat like 28 jelly beans. So that's literally what I did. Oh my God. Yeah. And it worked. It was fine. I totally passed. And they were like, well, you definitely took enough sugar to, you know, <laughs> see if we were going to, if the uh, the test would work. But I was so stubborn, so stubborn. It was, it was really bad. But, oh, my gosh, you're cracking me up. We have so much in common. I love it. So, Kate, I really am curious whenever I have a guest on. I would love to hear about your childhood, where you grew up. Oh, sure. Did you always want to be this queen of reality TV? I mean, I guess, you know, maybe reality TV was a new thing back then. It was kind of – I mean, I I don't know how – I'm assuming you're, like, in your 30s. Um, Well, so – I, first of all, I think that I'm an innately curious person. Um, my mom is the kind of person that 
you know, I'd be like, can we just leave the grocery store? And she'd be talking to someone for a long time. <laughs> so I think I was raised in a, in a house like that. Um, truthfully, this is so weird. I've never heard anybody else say this, but I love to look at my mom's high school yearbook. I just loved it. And I would pour through it and I'd ask her questions like, okay, where did this girl go to, or what, what elementary school did she go to and what street did she live on and what were her parents' names and did she have siblings and did she end up getting married to somebody? And at the reunion, wow, was she hooking up with anybody and what was she, what did she do for a job? What she named her kids? Like I was just fascinated by stories about people. I have an, um, I believe it's called an eidetic memory. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a memory for details about people. The only other person I've ever encountered that has it is Bill Clinton where I can meet somebody and I, it's like a download of all the details and I never forget it to wow. the point where people think I'm weird because it's like, I'll see you 10 years from now. And I'm asking you questions about like, how did your surgery go? And did your child get into that school? And you know, so people kind of think I stalk them and I don't, I just <laughs> remember stuff. So curious person coupled with a fascination with details about people. When I went to my high school, I I went to a boarding school called the Milton Hershey School. And the Milton Hershey School was started by Milton Hershey, the chocolate magnet, and his wife. Milton Hershey was an only child. He and his wife tried desperately to have children and never could have one. So he was left with who to leave his entire chocolate fortune to. So he started a school for orphaned boys called the Hershey Industrial School, later called the Milton Hershey School. In 1977, they changed the deed of trust to accept girls. The school is K through 12, and in order to gain acceptance, which is a free school, you have to be needy emotionally and financially. So I graduated from that school. I think that that helped my curiosity too because I got the chance to live with girls and my just my student home alone was 16 kids so I was living in a house with girls from every race creed and demographic and a school a co-ed school with you know kids from all different cities a lot of inner city kids so it was kind of perfect for me because I could ask a million questions and learn about other people all the time I was home from school one weekend and MTV had a marathon of the real world and it was the first season of real world New York. And it reminded me so much of what it was like for me as a Milton Hershey student, like Mm. being dropped off at my student home. And I truly believe to this day, the only way that people can really understand one another is to live with each other. Mm -hmm. So it just felt so similar to my high school experience. And it's like everything that interests me in the world, other people's stories, how other people live, what they eat, what their, you know, traditions are. And so that kind of was the breeding ground for this love of unscripted television because unscripted television in its its best form takes you into a different pocket of the world Mm -hmm. and peels back the onion of someone else's life and experiences. So I went to college for political science. I thought I would run for office. I worked at the White House. I worked on campaigns. And then I got a job working for a PR firm that represented former senators that got gone back to their law firm. So I ended up doing that for like 17 years, and I did crisis media litigation for law firms. I get married, and I started having kids, and my husband's best friend said to me, you know, you've always loved comedy. You really got to pursue it while you can. So I started taking Groundlings improv comedy classes. I started doing stand-up and writing television recaps, funny recaps. And then I was invited onto a podcast, and then I had this great idea. It was four and a half years ago. I said, I, you know, I think I could make a podcast. So I pitched it to the Wondering Network and said, I'd love to 
do a show where I track down former reality stars and see how it changed the trajectory of their life. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea of doing a podcast. And by the way, by this time, no one in the world knew what a podcast was. I mean, I would have to show people on their phone and they were like, you're a loser. What is oh, that? Oh, yes. When I pitched my idea to the network, I said, I'd love to have a podcast that sounds like a talk show with an opening and a closing and two different guests and sometimes three. So I have a featured guest and then, you know, kind of like a tonight show where mm-hmm. you've got the one guest at the you know front of the couch next to the host. So in one segment of the episode, I'd have an interview with a reality star or an editor, or, excuse me, executive, a producer or a director or a host of a show. And then the second segment would be somebody from a different part of the world or different kind of pocket of the States and have them review a reality show to see how someone looks through their own lens to watch a show. So it's sort of like a love letter to TV. And so over the last four and a half years, it's kind of expanded to unscripted television as an umbrella. So it's reality shows, docuseries, and documentaries. So mm-hmm. in one episode, I might be interviewing the creator of 30 for 30 on ESPN, or I just had Amanda Knox, who we all know was accused of murdering a roommate in Italy. So she was the feature of a true crime documentary on Netflix. But then I might have the next episode, a real housewife or somebody from The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. And... Over, you know, a month's time and eight episodes, I'm going to probably cover probably 30 different unscripted programs just by me talking about it at the top of the hour or through the the interviews with either guests. So it's really for somebody who loves storytelling, loves television, and is always looking for something to watch. I just found it recently and I'm just blown away, just in awe of the guests that you've had and just amazing. I'm, I'm so curious. What was your very first episode? I had Ashley Iaconetti, who oh. at the time had been a contestant on The Bachelor, known for crying all the time. <laughs> yes. She would just cry all the time. So I had her on <clears throat> and said, let's talk about <laughs> what the emotional toll is of the show. Because, you know, you look like a lunatic and I know you're quite fun. And she came on and we had a lot of fun laughing about what it's actually like to be a contestant on the show and I think people appreciate it It was like oh I never that's the thing I want is a guest to walk away and go gosh I never thought about it that way or it might pitch to the guest if I'm trying to book because I do all the booking and writing it and everything myself is listen you seem like a one-dimensional person on television to your audience but Mm. I want to make you a three-dimensional person so I'd love to tell part of your story that no one knows and then they can understand you a little bit better when they watch the show because sometimes you see somebody act like a lunatic and then when you hear their personal story you go oh all right well I get it now like that totally makes sense and then the next time they're in a fight you go well she tends to be a little bit reactive because remember this happened this happened so it gives somebody a little bit more grace and it puts into context Mm -hmm. some of the arguments or you know discussions that you might see on a show on unscripted television I'm getting chills because I literally have the same idea with my IG live show because, you know, when you see someone on TV, they're just not that person in real life. And I, I, I really want to know who they really are. So I so identify with wanting to get to know who that person really is, you know, truly. And you're right. It's so rewarding when people say, you know, oh, you showed me a different side of this person. And now I know that they're not, you know, a pompous asshole or you know whatever it is like it feels so good to to kind of get their true self shown and by the way Ashley is such a sweetheart I had the absolute honor 
of going to her wedding shower in LA. Oh, cute. Yeah, cute. and and she is a doll, and I love Jared. He is hysterical and so sweet. So yeah, shout out to Ashley for that. Gosh, I just I love that your first guest was was her. So you really just hit the ground running, which is very impressive. And, and you know, she, that was before she even really understood what a podcast was. So I think six <laughs> months later, she started her own. Yeah, with Ben Higgins. That's how, that's how old to this, but old school podcaster I am. I love that. I love that so much. I'm definitely not, I don't go back that far, about two years, I'd say. But that is so amazing. Who would you say have been like your biggest gets as far as, you know, being a podcast mm-hmm. host and just... Someone who who you might have had like on your on your wish list that you were able to get. I don't know. There's just so many. From a talent perspective, Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg's been on. He's so freaking funny. Amanda Knox was a great get. I had Marcus Lamonas, a host of CNBC's The Prophet. And by the way, did not expect this at all. I I thought he would give me 20 minutes, and I think we talked for 40 minutes, but. He's this big time host on CNBC and he opened up to me about finding out that his adoptive parents in Greece were not in fact Greek, but they were actually Syrian and that he was the victim of sexual abuse as a child. I mean, I never expected. And like, when does a man ever open up about that? And then, and how adoption is so true to his heart and his like North Star. So he's one of my favorites too. Here's some of my favorites. Well, after watching The Last Dance on ESPN, which I loved about the Chicago Bulls final season, I got Michael Jordan's biographer. Oh, wow. And that was a great hour where I actually cried because he tells a story of, because he's the most prolific basketball writer. So he's written the biographies. He's working on Magic Johnson right now, but also Kobe. And he talked to me about a moment with Kobe be asking him about what Michael thought about him and it was like shortly after Kobe died so I ended up crying because of stuff like that so that was a great episode I've had 350 episodes wow wow so some of the hosts that I've had are incredible executive producers you know one of them that's memorable was the director and producers of abducted in plain sight which was on Netflix about oh my gosh a girl that That was a victim of abuse yes and we had a we had a moment together where they actually, all three of them, none of them have children yet. And so at the end, I said, I just want you all to be really proud of the work that you've done because you have just protected countless children because those that are listening will now think about the people in their orbit. And they got mm-hmm. quite emotional about it. I get a lot of people to cry. I kind of feel like a Barbara Walters that way. Um <laughs> I've really been proud of the way that I've amplified voices, victims of abuse, all minorities. One of the greatest episodes I think I had was with the brother of Khalif Browder from the Khalif Browder story on Netflix. He was wrongfully imprisoned at Rikers and ended up committing suicide. Oh, my God. And so Akeem and I talked about wrongful imprisonment. Another great guest was Greg Kelly, also wrongfully imprisoned. He was a high school football player and standout, wrongfully imprisoned, later exonerated, and now is playing college football, actually, in Michigan. And he was featured in the docuseries on Showtime called Outcry. And that was a really meaningful interview for me that also made me very, very weepy. <laughs> but I would say, actually, my favorite episode is episode 121 which is, you know, earlier in my career. But I interviewed the creator of The Surreal Life, Rock of Love with Brett Michaels and Flavor of Love with Flavor Flav. And he tells a story about 
Flavor Flav that I laughed for a couple minutes where I couldn't stop. I just could not get myself together because oh. I was laughing so hard. And he tells a great story about Brett Michaels and how it was a dating show for Brett Michaels, but Brett Michaels didn't know how to date because he always had groupies. So they had to teach him how to date. Like when you go out with a girl, you have to ask questions like, what's your name and how are you and what do you do for a living and where are you from? And it's like, you know, you think, well, that's just basic. But truly, if you're like a Harry Styles, you don't even have to ask questions because, right. you know, someone's just throwing themselves at you. So, oh, I love Shangela from A Star is Born, also in RuPaul's Drag Race. Shangela is such an interesting performer and person and talked a lot about how important drag queens are in mainstream media and how they're the ones that actually show up when there are charity events and often do it for free. You know, you kind of forget about that. So I, I've had so many moments where it's like a, oh, I didn't even think about that kind of thing. And like, even today, I had a multiculturalism scholar on to talk about The Bachelor this season. And so many things that she said, I just went, oh, I never even thought about it that way. So I'm just, I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm proud that I'm a working mom. I've done this all myself. I book, I write, I produce it all myself. I have an audio engineer that helps me kind of splice it together. But you know, I always tell a new podcaster that despite what the media is going to tell you, I mean, they, they praise people like Conan O'Brien, like, oh, he's a, you know, trailblazer with podcasting. Well, you know what? He has a huge platform. He has a television show and then mm -hmm. he creates a show and it's like we're rewarding someone who's already famous. But it is possible and I'm proof that you can come up with an idea and build it up and work your tail off and you can build something. And the great thing is that was my second chapter in life. My first was doing media consulting for law firms. So this is the second chapter. And because of it, I'm moving into a third chapter where I'm producing television shows. Now, if I just showed up, you know, to Paramount Plus or whatever it is, and just had been a media consulting for, you know, consultant for law firms, they may have said, uh, who the hell are you and what relevant experience do you have to pitch a show? But because I've been so knee deep in these interviews, cultivating relationships with the people who make shows, that it's really afforded me the opportunity to pursue another passion, which is producing television shows. So you don't always know where your podcast is going to take you. You can do it yourself and build it up if you're, if you're tenacious and you collaborate. That's probably another message I have is that don't look at another podcast as competition. Look at it as an opportunity for collaboration. The more that we collaborate in podcasting, the more we grow the market. Everybody has a unique voice. It's a celebration of everyone's point of view, a celebration of the industry that you're covering. And the more we go on each other's shows and scream from the rooftops about other people's expertise and senses of humor and, you know, personalities the more we get to share our shows with other people. So it's just best. We're all at our best when we're all helping each other out. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. I, when Some of my favorite podcasts are collaborating with other podcasts, you know, because we've got that common thread and, you know, the passion and all of that. It's just, it's, it's so, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm vibrating at a higher frequency right now just talking to you. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's like the best feeling, you know. But I want to go back to what you said about Brett Michaels' show because I remember watching that. And I think that it was a, a recent podcast you did, and you mentioned that Matt James was kind of similar in the fact that he didn't really know, you know, mm -hmm. right? He's kind of new to dating. 
like we were saying, you know, he hadn't fallen in love before and, and he just he hadn't really been in that situation. He's definitely never been on the show before. He was supposed to be on Claire's season. That didn't happen. They pulled him. So I think that we just were, you know, he really just should not have been the lead. Do you agree that they really kind of did a, him a disservice by making him the lead? I think so. I think often networks, decision makers get caught up in someone's social media presence. They think that if they have a million TikTok followers, that that's going to translate into success in whatever project it is. And at that time, you know, before when they were considering bachelors, Matt and Tyler were getting a lot of attention because they were quarantining with Hannah and they had a ton Mm -hmm. of people talking about how much they love their TikTok. So I think that they thought, well, this is fantastic. It's built in marketing. The possibilities are endless because this is going to be shareable content again and again and again. But what they learned was that it was frustrating to have someone who was an outsider because when they're an insider, meaning they were a contestant, they're more willing to go with the flow. There are extraordinary circumstances that normal people would go, you know, I'm not really comfortable with dating 25 people at one time and, and having a conversation for three minutes and then going to the next person and making out with them. And then maybe three girls later, I've got her up against a wall, <laughs> you know, putting my hand up her skirt. That's not a normal thing for normal people. But once you kind of, maybe this sounds like a cult, but you know, once you're contesting, you're like, I got the hang of things. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like I'll, I'll go with the flow. Well, for Matt as an insider, he was not really comfortable with it. And that was troubling because when you have somebody who's not comfortable, the flow of filming gets, you know, impacted. And it doesn't make the contestants feel safe and comfortable. They are mm-hmm. not hopeful that he's looking at them like, this could be a romantic person in my future. They're looking at him like, he's uncomfortable filming. He There's, there's no way he's going to choose somebody in the end. And then when you put your life on hold, and you're at the Nema Colon Resort of Pennsylvania, and you're already in a global pandemic, and it looks to you like the producers and the grip and the crew members are frustrated. The lead seems frustrated. Then you start to eat your own. And that's like part of the disaster that was the season. I mean, there are a multitude of issues, but fundamentally, in a basic sense, he was not comfortable with the way that the show set up and with his role as the lead. And I think that's because they made the wrong decision. One, if someone's very famous on TikTok, that means they're going to be a great lead on TV. You need to have somebody who's got some TV expertise. Now, that said, I did say from the beginning, Chris Harrison's going to be swapped out. I thought that because Tom Bergeron was swapped out on Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. And I think that the network was like, you know, this is not a good look for us to have white men at the helm of some of these really important shows in the year 2020, 2021. Like, we've got to rethink this and be a lot more fair. So I suspected that they would filter him out. But I thought from the beginning that it would be Matt James. Because they were like, this guy's a great TikTok star. He's got so much fandom. He's going to be the bachelor. He's going to find love. He'll be fantastic. And then he'll take over as the new host. But what they didn't anticipate was that he would almost become uncomfortable on camera and that the ratings would kind of sink because people didn't feel like he was invested. And because he was so stressed out and for good reason, there was a lack of charisma on his part. Now, I think that in the future, I think there's still an opportunity for him to come back and host. I think it would be a great way for him to kind of like redeem get his, himself. Yeah, redeem himself. But I think that he would make a great host. I think if the pressure was not on him, I have to pick a girl from this pot, you know, of 25 women 
and bringing his father back on. I mean, first of all, I don't think that man was even prepared for what he was in store. I think oh, they no. probably said, this is going to be a great moment. You're going to reconnect with your son. It's a great opportunity. And I don't think that Matt really had processed how his parents' divorce and his father's abandonment really affected him. And for good reason. I, I mean, listen, I had, I had a dad that was never around either. That, that takes years and years and years to unpack, let alone, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. So I think that if he doesn't have the pressure of choosing someone, they can highlight his fun personality. I'm going to say, this is my prediction, mm-hmm. that when the show after Kate, or maybe not Michelle, which is going to be filmed in August, after that, the next one, that you're going to see Matt as the host. Wow, interesting. I agree with you. I think that it, it's definitely time for Chris Harrison to step aside, you know, permanently. Um it's it's they're saying now that you know production actually set him up with that interview to kind of fail so that they had a reason to replace him more so because he is the executive producer so it probably was a little bit difficult to get him out of that seat um so I don't know how much truth there is to that but it's definitely an interesting theory I also want to ask you do you think that they pulled Matt James, of course, because of, of quarantine crew and all that. That makes total sense. The proximity to Tyler and Hannah Brown. Do you think that because of the tension that he had with Claire online, you, do you remember when she kind of called out someone? We all knew who she was talking about. But because he was doing cameos and saying he was affiliated with The Bachelor and she was saying, like, you're not here for the right reasons. Do you think that had anything to do with them pulling Matt? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. I was just curious because that would have been pretty awkward, I feel, when they met, you know, night one with that kind of hanging over. I think it it was really all about seeing how much press he got for TikTok with Tyler. Yeah, no, it makes sense because nobody really knew who he was until that happened, right? And then everybody knew who he was, so... Well, you yeah. think about it. If you're an executive with the show, you're like, how do we reinvent the wheel? How do we continue to get people excited about the show? It's been 19 years. I'm not talking 19 seasons. Let's say 19 years the show has ex- existed. Yeah. So you're constantly thinking, how can we switch it up? How can we make it more exciting? And with the with the growth of TikTok, especially in 2020 with the pandemic, and the constant press about Tyler and Matt and Hannah in quarantine, I think that they enjoyed the press that came with speculation that Hannah and Tyler may reconnect. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is Tyler's best friend, that's like another connect. So anytime Matt's taking a picture with Tyler, even more interest for that, in their opinion, like an easy way to get a whole new young audience. John Paul Jones is a friend of mine, and he said, most of his DMs are from very young girls. Their audience is very, very young. Wow. Um, like, I'd say, okay, John Paul Jones is coming on the show. Do you guys have any questions? Most of my guests, when I say, do you have any questions, it's questions like, you know, when are they going to get married or do they regret the way they handled this situation? John Paul Jones, you wouldn't believe. I got so many questions about, can you ask him if he wears boxers or briefs? Can you ask him <laughs> what his horoscope is? And I'm like, What? Oh, wow. And so if you remember that season, John spoke up to Derek and he said, I had to stand up to Derek and tell him, like, you have to be careful about DMing with them are very young. He said, because that was his experience that he would get so many from very young girls and thought these girls are very impressionable. And so while they this might be a TV show, this took girls down into their lives. So they are making decisions about 
who they want to be with and how they carry themselves in a relationship based on watching a show like The Bachelor. So the best thing we can do is to be really upstanding men. That's the best thing we can do. So that was his trouble with the show, and that was his feedback. So if you're a network executive, you know that the moms at home are watching the show, and you know that women in their late 20s are watching the show. But they always want to keep those young girls interested because it's a core audience for them. So what better way than to get somebody who's killing it on TikTok because TikTok has a very, very young audience. The predominant number of TikTok users are young, young. That is really interesting because, you know, you look at this past season and you see someone like Kit Keenan, who was 21 years old, clearly not ready to get married anytime soon. She had even said that to Matt. You know, to have someone like that on the show, I feel like they were doing that to kind of have those girls, those young girls, relate to her. No, I think he was like, this is, they're like, this is great press. She's the daughter of Cynthia Raleigh. There, okay. There's a whole new set. I think they're constantly thinking about, okay, what what do we get out of this contestant? For sure. I mean, sure, it's a romance show, but also like, okay, is this person going to be interesting? Are people going to write about them? Are they going to share the content of the scenes from the show? Because this is a compelling person. And the fact that she's the daughter of a major designer in New York is very interesting and and quite frankly would give them more clout than you know mary jane from you know iowa absolutely she's sophisticated in new york uptown society girl daughter of of a well-known designer is interested in the bachelor this season yep makes sense completely makes sense definitely and the people that you've had on that were executive producers did you get any insight as far as the choices that they make and in casting and just storylines and things like that did you get any sort of insight from the bachelor i don't think i've ever i've never had an executive producer of the bachelor i think that they would say that it's really for them about what's compelling you know what's compelling tv i have a friend who does casting for the real housewives and he always says i know who's not right two minutes in the conversation because if I call someone and the first thing out of their mouth is like, you would not believe the shit day I've had. These kids are crazy. And my husband's a real douche. And they're like, that's a lot. (laughs) The best person is that kind of creeps up on you and you go, Oh, now that's interesting. You know? So I think when we meet somebody like somebody who's over the top, we're like, end scene. But if you sit at a dinner party (laughs) and you cozy up to somebody and you're like, and then you did what? And then what happened? Oh, my God, how did you overcome that? They're yeah, the most interesting. And, and that's like the way with TV. They yeah. want to find the most compelling people who have heart. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's really great insight because you do wonder how they choose these people, right? Like, what are they looking for? What are they basing it off of? So I love that. Yeah. So have you considered writing a book about you know, your experiences. I mean, I feel like everybody's kind of writing books these days about, right? I mean, I'm just curious. Have you thought of it? I would love to. I would love to. If there's a book agent out there who's like, you know, she's singing our tune. I would love to because I think I have some, I have great stories. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you were saying that you grew up, I I didn't hear what state Milton Hershey, where's that? It's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh. Hershey, PA. Hershey chocolate. That makes sense. Yeah. And had you been to the Nebuchadnezzar? Had you, uh, are, were you familiar Hell with that? No. Resort? Okay. Okay. No, 
no, no. So I'm from <laughs> suburban Philadelphia. Okay. Went to school in Hershey, went to college in D.C., and then I moved to California. Now I live in Southern California in Orange County. Okay. I live amongst Real Housewives of Orange County. Very but cool. I feel like I am absolutely 100% totally an East Coaster who happens to live in Southern California. Like, I will never not be an East Coaster. Like, I'm tried <laughs> and true, very East Coast. You can even hear my Philly accent. Yep, I sure can. <laughs> I was born in the East Coast as well, but I, I feel like I've lived here long enough to feel more like a California girl. But I'm just north of you, actually, um, near San Francisco, not in the big oh, city. Oh, awesome. But yeah, we're in the same state. So have you had any really fun just sightings in your neighborhood? I always think that when people live in L.A., that just happens, you know, just happens organically yeah I mean you'd be surprised the best one oh my god one time I was having lunch and I saw Diane Keaton I thought that was a pretty cool one. Oh wow I mean, where, yeah where do you see Diane Keaton <laughs> right um, of course I mean I see a lot of reality stars just because a lot of like housewives are here lots of bachelor people people from the hills yeah you know what's so funny I just thought about this the other day I mean this kind of encapsulates what it's like to live in Southern California and again remember I grew up in suburban Philadelphia I met a neighbor a woman in my neighborhood when I moved here and I said oh gosh you look so familiar and I'm thinking we go to the same OBGYN like I don't know I ran into you one time at like CVS and she said I had a role on Santa Barbara now Santa Barbara was a soap opera that was on television when I was a kid I'm like I just met like CVS or the doctor. Like, but there's this assumption with everyone you met. Well, it's not even an assumption, it's real. But like, so many people who live here have been on television. Right. It's wild. It's like your kid goes to school. Oh, Johnny's going to be out this week because he's filming a pilot. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Another weird thing is, like, my husband's from here. And, well, Janet Evans went to my high school, the Olympic swimmer, and so did Michael Chang, the Olympic tennis player. And now I live in Newport Beach, and my friends are like, oh, Misty May went to high school down the street. The only people I knew that played Olympic sports were, like, the field hockey players. Like, I played field hockey. Like, there, it was like somebody went to play field hockey, and you were, like, such a badass. But meanwhile... The Olympic field hockey players are sponsored by Home Depot. That's the only job they can make, and they have to get sponsored. So they make, like, you know, four waffles, and they are, um, you know, training all day. But then the athletes in Southern California are sponsored by, like, Gatorade, and they go to, like, television shows. It's like a whole other world here. It's so (laughs) weird. Oh, my gosh. I'm so curious. I told you I'm a dating coach. How did you meet your husband? Match.com. Oh my gosh. Okay. So do you remember Singles Net? A little bit, yeah. I okay. Think so. That's where I met my husband. I was actually a flight attendant and I was I was called like dating supplementally, right? Like online. And because I was dating passengers, pilots, other flight attendants, whoever, right? I mean, I was in my twenties, was doing whatever I wanted. But Singles Net was this tiny little website. You know, match.com is much more well known, but did you find match so overwhelming as a single person? I only went on eight dates, and I wrote recaps of every date I went on for my office at the time, and they loved it. Oh, and I, I love looked that. at it as like an anthropological study and an opportunity for me because I had just moved to LA to like see the landscape. So I enjoyed it. I was my husband's first date. His roommate at the time, how it was dating this professor at USC who was doing a paper on online dating and gave him a cheat sheet of all the information, the download of all everything that she had learned. (laughs) So he had scheduled dates Friday, Saturday and Sunday, but I was his Friday night date and he canceled the other dates. So I always think we should be in a match ad, but it's all of my kids fighting in the living room 
And then we look at the camera and then we're like, Match.com, is this what you really want? (laughs) Yes, I love it. That is amazing. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I always ask how people meet. You know, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I I have a sociology background and I'm just, I'm fascinated. I always want to know because we just meet people so many different ways. So that's a, that's a beautiful. And how long have you been married? We've been married almost 14 years. And the weird thing is that when we started writing each other on match, the first note that he wrote me was from a cafe across the street from the Louvre in because he was in Paris at the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, we started talking and we realized that when I did law firm PR, one of my clients was his law firm because he had been CEO of a tech firm that was the precursor to Napster. He and his college friends at UCLA started a company, believe it or not, while they were undergrads called Scour. And they were sued by the NPAA and the RIAA. And it was like a big story in the news because he was like this 20, 21 year old CEO when he started the company. So the weird thing was he said, oh, because you do law firm PR, you may be familiar with this company. I was actually the CEO of, and I said, not only do I know of it, but I remember a phone call with Ron Harris from Associated Press where I had said, I have this attorney who can talk to you about the Scour lawsuit. And I remember Ron Harris saying, great, I'll talk to your guy at 9.30. I've got the Scour CEO at 9, <sighs> and my husband was that CEO. Oh, my god! And then the, the Paris thing that's weird is we have, of five kids, we have two children born on Bastille Day, four years apart. Oh, wow. And the oldest has a birthmark on her forehead that looks like the Eiffel Tower. What? Oh, my yeah, gosh. That's yeah. crazy. Oh, well... I think it's wonderful that you guys have built this beautiful life together. And I think that you should write a book. I think you have a lot to say. (laughs) You've been able to accomplish so much and you're just getting started, it sounds like, you know, being a producer. Now, as a producer, what are kind of your goals? Like what would be like your dream show to produce? I'm producing shows that are really about women and for women. Female Stories, my North Star. I went to an all-women's college. I have four daughters, and I'm a real girl's girl. And I'm endlessly fascinated by women and working hard to amplify their voices in Mm -hmm. the world. So anything about women and for women is my goal. I love that. I've had the best time with you, Kate. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Thank you. I just had one other question. If you could interview someone, dead or alive, who would it be? Gilda Radner. Oh, okay. Who was on Saturday Night Live yes. and it's truly has always been, since I was a little girl, my absolute hero. I love that. And what about her is just so interesting to you? She was infinitely talented, a kind person, a true collaborator, and someone who died well before her time. Yeah, it's true. She was an icon for sure. Well, Kate, I have so enjoyed getting cozy with you. I have learned so much. Again, I, I'm going to shoot my shot and <laughs> and ask you to uh, to mentor me, even though you have a million things on your plate. Be happy to. Oh, my gosh. I'd be absolutely honored. Uh, you are literally what I aspire to be. So just being able to chat with you like this has just been invaluable. So thank you so, so, so much. Thank you. Please tell everyone where they can find you, listen to your wonderful podcast, let us know. So it's called Reality Life with Kate Casey, and you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I've got a Facebook group called Reality Life with Kate Casey, a Patreon with bonus episodes, which are super juicy. 
really, really juicy. And that's just patreon.com slash KKC. Twitter at KKC. Instagram at KKCCA. And then Clubhouse, you can find me at KKC. I have a group called What to Watch with Kate every Monday. And I'm always ready to talk about TV. And I am just so grateful to Clubhouse for us to be able to connect. Me I, too. Oh, my Me gosh. Too. Clubhouse is the, the next best thing. It's going to blow TikTok away even. I am so obsessed. It's so addicting, but really, really happy that that is in our lives. So, well, I wish you all the best, Kate. I am, if you ever need any sleep coach help, you let me know. <laughs> I'm here for you. You guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been a wonderful episode. I hope you've enjoyed. And please go follow Kate and listen to her wonderful podcast. Thank you guys so much. Please stay safe out there and always stay cozy. Till next time, bye. Bye.